If you have a copy of the Word of God with you tonight, we're turning first of all to the book of Isaiah, chapter 20, chapter 57, verse 15, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to thank Daniel and Brian for their kind words of welcome. It's always a joy to be with you in Sainfield and to have this opportunity of ministering the Word of the Lord. And as I said this morning, we pray for the elders continually that the Lord will guide them at this time of vacancy. The prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 57, and the verse 15. Maybe we could just bow in a word of prayer. We thank Judith, too, for her sweet ministry and song this evening. Father, we thank you afresh tonight for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that Christ is the answer And we thank you that what the world needs is the Savior. And we thank you, Lord, tonight for those of us who are saved. We bless thee, Lord, for that time and our experience when you worked in our heart and you drew us to Christ. And our Father, we wouldn't have come unless the Holy Spirit had wrought conviction within our soul. We were dead. We were on the mortuary slab. And we needed the life-giving Spirit of God. And our Father, there are those with us tonight, and perhaps they too are dead and trespasses and sin. They're dominated by the God of this world. They're depraved. They're nearer hell tonight than ever they've been before. And we ask, O God, that you would have mercy upon them. And our Father, that through the ministry and song and now through the simple preaching of the gospel, that you would draw them to Christ. We need your help. We long for the touch of God upon this meeting tonight. And we look to thee in the Savior's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 57, please, and the verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him, also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then over to the New Testament, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're reading at verse 16. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, Eternity Where. Incidentally, there's a very good site on the internet Eternity where that's worth looking at. But that's our subject tonight. Eternity where, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the verse 16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We're forever looking as Christians, aren't we, at the things which are seen. Paul says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, 
If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing as God, who has also given unto us the earnest or the down payment of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to the earth done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Let's just keep our Bibles open there, and may the Lord bless to us the public reading of his own precious word. Arthur Stace was born in Sydney, Australia. He was the child of alcoholics, and he was brought up in poverty. And in order to survive, he resorted to stealing bread and milk and searching for food in the bins. By the age of 12, Stace, with no formal, Stace, no formal schooling, had become a ward of the state. As a teenager, he became an alcoholic and was subsequently sent to jail at the age of 15 years of age. However, on the 6th of August, 1930, Arthur Stace was gloriously saved after hearing the gospel of the grace of God. Two years later, on the 14th of November, 1932, Arthur was inspired by the preaching of the evangelist John Ridley, who preached from this text in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Listen to the words, For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. The evangelist cried, Eternity, eternity. Oh, that I could sound or shout that word to everyone on the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? Those words proved crucial in Stace's decision to tell others about his faith. In an interview sometime later, he said, Eternity went ringing through my brain. And suddenly I began crying and I felt a powerful call from God to write eternity. And even though he was illiterate and hardly could write his own name, Arthur, legibly, yet the word eternity came out beautifully. In a beautiful copper plate script, he said, I couldn't understand it and I still can't. Every morning for the next 35 years, Arthur Stace would leave his home on the outskirts of Sydney at five o'clock in the morning, would go into the center of the city, and with a piece of chalk, he would write the word eternity on the footpaths, on train station entrances, and anywhere else he could think of. It is estimated that he wrote the word eternity 500,000 times over the next 35 years, and workers coming into the city of Sydney early in the morning could see the word freshly written, but not the writer. And so the man who writes eternity became a legend in Sydney. Today, if you visit the beautiful city of Sydney, 
The word eternity can be seen in three different places. And you recall that as a tribute to Arthur Skeas, the Sydney Harbour Bridge was lit up as the new millennium dawned. And one word was flashing forth in bright lights for all the world to see. Eternity, eternity, eternity. I wonder, dear friend, do you realize that you could be in eternity before this year passes, before this month passes, before this week passes, before this day passes? How would you fare? Where would you be? A few hours before entering heaven, the famous American evangelist D.L. Moody caught a glimpse of the coming glory, and he cried these words, Earth is receding, heaven is opening, God is calling, I must go. This is my coronation day. This is my triumph. I wonder, is that how you'll pass into eternity? With hope, with confidence, with assurance that for you it will be heaven? Or could it be that you'll leave this scene of time without Christ, without hope, without assurance? Lord William Russell, when he was on the scaffold about to be beheaded, took his watch from his pocket and gave it to his attendant, Dr. Burnett, who was looking after him. He said, Sir, my watch may be of service to you. I have no further need of it. My thoughts are on eternity. For a little while this evening, I want to fix your thoughts on eternity. For there are some of us here who this time next year will be in eternity. Indeed, all of us in this congregation will be in eternity in 100 years in heaven heaven or hell. Is it not vital, therefore, tonight that we listen attentively and yield submissively to the Word of God? Our eternal destiny may depend upon it. I want you to look with me at the words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. Here's what Paul says. He says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to notice something, first of all, very simple. I want you to notice something which is passing the temporal. Look at what Paul says. The things which are seen are temporal. Everything around us tonight is dying. It's decaying. It's coming to an end. No wonder the hymn writer said, Change and decay and all around I see. Oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. We're all going. We're going, we're going. It matters not if we're high or low. It matters not if we're rich or poor. It matters not if we're old or young. We are going and soon we shall be gone. How challenging this is. Think about the things which are seen. No doubt Paul had in mind the trials, the troubles, the tears that were his present lot, as he mentions in verses 7 through 10. But he meant more, but he meant more than that. All that he had ever seen in Tarsus, all that he had ever seen in Jerusalem, all that he had ever seen in Corinth, in Rome, the things that man had made, the city and the palace, the things that God had made, the flowers, the sea, the ocean. These things, says Paul, are transient, they're temporal. Can I bring it a little closer tonight and say to you, beauty is only temporal. You see what Paul says in verse 16. 
He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. That word perish means decay. In the very next chapter, Paul compares this body of mine and yours to a house. And that's what houses do. Over over time, they decay. They grow old. They begin to fall apart. The paint begins to peel off. And eventually, you have to put a new coat of paint on the house. Women are especially allergic and relate to this because nobody is no more meticulous than women about repainting the home. My dear friend, Sarah was once a beautiful lady. She was the admiration of the court of Egypt. But there was a day when Abraham, her husband, said, let me bury my dead out of my sight. Ladies tonight, despite all the cosmetics, beauty is only temporal. You know, we have, a th- we have what, 10,000 uh, beauty secrets going around. People want a facelift, and then a second facelift, and then a third facelift. They want, what are they doing? They want to slow the aging process down as much as they can. We're always looking for the fountain of youth. If it's not oil of ole, it's aloe vera. I heard about a little boy that was watching his mother going to bed each evening, and she was putting this white goo over all her face, and he would would sit there for a few minutes, and he would watch her, and he would watch her, night after night, night after night. And then after several nights, he plucked up the courage. Curiosity got the better of him, and he said, Mommy, why are you putting that white goo on your face? Why, she said, son, to make me beautiful. Well, he looked at her, and he said, Well, it ain't working, is it? My dear friends, listen tonight. The fact of the matter is this, that you can repaint the house, you can refurbish the house, you can restore the house, you can replace the doors, you can strengthen the hinges, but I'm telling you tonight that this old house is going to decay. You see, God has built decay into this house. He doesn't want us to settle down in this house because we have one eternal on the other side. Now, right now, I'm looking at a bunch of houses. I'm looking at some big houses. I'm looking at some tall houses. I'm looking at some beautiful houses. And when I look into the mirror, I'm looking at a real shack. You see, beauty's only temporal. My dear friends, let me bring it a little closer. Strength is only temporal. Man, tonight, despite all the jogging, And despite all the weightlifting, and despite all the running, and despite all the swimming, strength is only temporal. David was once a mighty man of valor, and yet there came a day in his life when he had to be ministered unto in his old age. Life expectancy is now rising so much that pension companies have had to juggle their figures because life expectancy is rising and rising and rising, but I'm here tonight to tell you, you're still going to die because strength is only temporal. Beauty's only temporal. Strength's only temporal. Wisdom is only temporal. Young folk tonight, go in for all the wisdom and the education that you can get, but always remember that wisdom is only temporal. Solomon was once a prodigy of wisdom and of knowledge. All the kings of the earth came to hear his wisdom. And yet in his latter days, he played the fool exceedingly. He allowed his wives to turn away his heart. I'm here tonight to tell you the house is dying. It's decaying. Memory starts to go. I wonder, is that happening to you already? I heard about a boy who went to the psychiatrist one day and he says, Doc, you've got to help me. I have a real problem. The doctor said, what's the problem? 
He said, it's my memory. He says, I can't remember anything. I can't remember where I left the house keys, the car keys. When I go upstairs to the bedrooms, I can't remember why I've gone up there. The doctor said, man, you've got a real problem. How long have you had this problem? The man said, how long have I had what problem? Can I bring it a little closer to you tonight? The houses that we live in, the homes that we love, the relationships that we treasure, the riches that we accumulate, the professions that we make, the plans that we establish, they're all only for a time. The things which are seen are temporal, how well we know it. Someone has said, when you die, the only thing you have is a six-foot foot, six hole in the ground. And then after a woman's thinking, he said, as a matter of fact, you won't have the hole in the ground that will have you. wonder tonight is it not time for you, sinner friend, to stop and see life in its perspective? Do you see that all that you're living for tonight is only temporal? All of your sins, all of your recreations, all of your pleasures, all of your profits will soon be over. You cannot keep them. You will not have them. That's why we say to you tonight in the words of the Lord Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The things which are seen are temporal. How challenging this is. The things which are seen are temporal. How comforting this is. You know, when Paul speaks of the things which are seen... He's no doubt thinking about his trials, his troubles, his tears as the servant of God. Fellow Christian tonight, does that not bring comfort to your heart? She is still light in your step. All of your trials, all of your difficulties, all of your perplexities, all of your weaknesses, all of your physical disabilities, they're only temporal. They'll soon be over. And they're even now working for you a, a, a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's why you need to take them patiently and bear them quietly. Look upward and onward and forward and, uh, and beyond them. Bear them with the abiding recollection that the things which are seen are temporal. So I want you to notice here something which is passing the temporal. But look at the text again. I want you to notice something which is passing the temporal. But secondly, I want you to notice something which is permanent, the eternal. Something which is passing, something which is permanent. Do you catch what Paul says? The last phrase in verse 18 of chapter 4, the things which are not seen, God, Christ, eternal joy, eternal bliss, Eternal torment. These things are eternal. There's an age-old question that has been asked from time immemorial. It's found in the book of Job. Here's the question. If a man dies, shall he live again? Is death a full stop in the sentence of life, or is it just a comma? Now, that's an important question. Because there's something that life has in common with a street, has in common with a book, has in common with a film. They have all endings. 
And your life, my dear friend, will have an ending just as it had a beginning. Your heart has only so many beats, and then it'll beat no more. Your lung has only so many breaths, and then they will breathe no more. And when you come to the end of your life, and you finally make the journey from the cradle to the coffin, is there something more? Or does death end it all? I heard about an atheist that came up to a preacher one time who was preaching on the resurrection, and he said, Preacher, I'm just here tonight to tell you that I don't believe one thing that you've said. Well, the pastor said, Sir, you've told me what you don't believe. Tell me what you do believe. And the man said, Well, I just believe that death ends at all. The preacher looked at him and said, So do I. He said, You believe that death ends at all? The preacher said, I certainly do. Death ends all your chance for sinning. It ends all your joy. It ends all your sinful pleasure. It ends all your projects, all your ambitions, all your relationships, all your friendships. It ends all the gospel that you'll ever hear. It ends it all for you, and you'll go into the blackness of darkness forever. But as for me, death ends all my wanderings. It ends all my aches and pains. It ends all my perplexities and disappointments, and I'll go to be with the Lord. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That great unseen state of existence which lies beyond the grave is eternal. It doesn't matter whether it's joy or judgment, glory or gloom, pleasure or pain. In one sense, it's utterly unlike this world in which we live. It is forever. There in the great eternity, there will be no decay. There will be no deterioration. There will be no annihilation. There will be no alteration. Whatever is beyond the grave is eternal. It's everlasting. You see, while this word eternity appears once in the Bible in Isaiah's prophecy, the concept of eternity appears time and again. Eternity is an attribute of God. It's in a perfection of God. God's existence is without beginning and without ending. You remember what the psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The things which are not seen are eternal. I stand on the shores of time and cry out, Eternity, eternity, how long art thou? When 10,000 times 10,000 years have passed, eternity will have just begun. Look ahead tonight. Long have you got to live? Five years, 10 years, 50 years? Then what? Those years will soon be over. Eternity. Can you grasp it? Do you recognize, my friend, tonight there is an eternity? Do you realize that you're living in a sphere that is temporal and you're going to a sphere that is eternal? The things which are not seen are eternal. Do you know what that means tonight? It means, first of all, that the glory of the Christian, the glory of the Christian is eternal. You remember what the sweet psalmist said? He said, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul says, we're going to be forever with the Lord. And however little we may grasp that tonight, it means that there's something that'll have no end. It'll never cease. It'll never grow old. It'll never decay. At thy right hand, there are pleasures 
forevermore. My dear Christian friend tonight, once you and I land in glory, we're going out no more. Peter says, we have an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. Then our warfare will be accomplished. Then our fight will be over. Then our work will be done. There we will have satisfying resources for the Christian. The best is yet to be. You and I tonight as believers are heading to a home which shall never be broken up, a meeting without a parting, a family reunion where there'll never be a separation, a day without a night. You know what we are tonight as believers? We're pilgrims and strangers. A fugitive is someone who's running away from home. A vagabond has no home. A stranger is away from home. A pilgrim is heading home. And when we go home, we're going to dwell in the house forever, of the house of the Lord forever. Oh, the permanency of it. One day, you and I as believers want to settle down. We're going to get into the house of the Lord forever. I was reminding Brian and Daniel in the hall tonight of what my friend Ivan Thompson used to say about heaven. He said, heaven is one long meeting without announcements. Isn't that good? One long meeting without announcements. Oh, the permanency of it. The glory of the Christian is eternal. Listen, the agony of the Christless is eternal. Eternal glory, eternal torment stand side by side. I feel how you can distinguish between the duration of one from the duration of the other. If the joy of the Christian is eternal, the judgment of the Christ is eternal. If heaven is eternal, so is hell. How awful tonight to think that you would be in hell forever. And yet, is this not the truth of the Bible? The Lord Jesus speaks about the fire that will never be quenched. He says, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. There's a phrase in the book of the Revelation that disturbs me every time I read it. It goes like this, the smoke of their torment ariseth up forever and ever, a place of never-ending torment, a place of ever-burning fire. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, said, stick your finger in the flame. You cannot keep it there for one moment. What is it going to be like to have the soul and the body in the flames of hell forever? My friend, tonight there's a road that leads into hell, but there's no road that leads out of hell. The road that leads into hell is a one-way dead-end street. There will be no missionary trips to hell. There will be no vacation trips to heaven. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as a second chance. Do you know what the Bible teaches tonight? It teaches the eternal security of the sinner. For once in hell, you'll be in hell forever. Now, have you got the message tonight? Do you see that there's no second chance after death? There's no hope of deliverance. If you die in your sins, you'll be lost. You'll be eternally lost. You'll be tragically lost. You'll be personally lost. I read about a young man whose mother was very concerned about his soul, and often she would leave pieces of gospel literature around the house so that he would pick them up. He was cross with her. One evening he was going out to a dance, and there on the hall table was a track, a gospel track that his mother had left for him. And he took that track and he was infuriated. And, and he twisted it and he ripped it up and he threw it to the ground. And he looked at his mother and he said, Mother, why do you give me this stuff? Mother, where can I go? 
Where can I go that no one will give me this stuff? His mother's cheek was quivering. She said, my son, in hell no one will give it to you. No one will witness to you there, lost in the darkness of hell forever. Let me ask you to me. You're called into eternity, into the next, in the next 24 hours. What would you be? Saved or lost. Look at these words of Paul. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Here we see something that's passing, the temporal. Here we see something that's permanent, the eternal. But I want you to see something else. Here we see something that is pressing, the spiritual. I mean, can you tell me anything that's more urgent, more pressing than the preparing of your soul for the great eternity? Listen to the element of truth here. Notice what Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, we know. I tell you tonight, it's possible for you to know where you're going to spend eternity. It is, yes, it is. Let me ask you a simple question tonight. Have you come to the place in your life where you can say for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven? What's your answer? You say to me tonight, Dennis, I don't know. Can anyone know for sure? Yes, they can. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? The Lord Jesus knew where he was going to spend eternity. He said, but I go my way to him that sent me. Christ was going back to the Father to prepare a home for his blood-bought people. Job knew where he was going to spend eternity. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and though worms destroy this body, yet out of my flesh I shall see God. Paul knew where he was going to spend eternity. He talks about it in the closing verses of this passage. He talks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. Think of it tonight. One moment you're absent, the next moment you're present. There's the element of truth here. You can know, sinner friend, tonight where you're going to spend eternity. There's not only the element of truth, there's the element of time here. Look at what Paul says. Our outward man perisheth. You're dying tonight. I don't care what age you are tonight. You're dying. And you're decaying. And you're not saved. My friend, tonight, do you realize that eternity hinges on time? My dear friend, tonight, you see that your destiny after death depends on what you do in time. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, and as death leaves men, so judgment will find them. I tell you, now is the accepted time, and now is the day of salvation. How are you using your time, sinner friend? What are you doing with your immortal soul tonight? Are you preparing to meet the Lord? There's the element of truth here. You can know where you're going to spend eternity. There's the element of time here. Our outward man is perishing. There's the element of trust here. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Christ himself said, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abideth on him. Let me put it simply tonight. If you accept Christ as your Savior, you'll spend eternity with him. If you reject Christ as your Savior, you'll spend eternity without him. So the question that confronts you and I tonight is this, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? What did the Lord Jesus come to do for you? Well, he came. He lived a life that you and I could never live. He died a death that you and I could never die. And on Calvary's cross, he took our sins upon him. 
He settled the sin question in its totality and for eternity, and he opened the way back into the presence of God. Christ has come to give you hope and peace while we live among the things which are seen and temporal. He come to give us glory and joy while we enter into the things which are seen and with, his, with the things which are not seen and eternal. Eternity. Where? Something which is passing, the temporal. Something which is permanent, the eternal. Something which is pressing, the spiritual. Eternity, where? Do you know how Paul faced up to this question? He said, to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Death, says Paul, is gain. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Is that how you will face eternity? If we face it, you will. Back to Sydney, Australia, late one evening, a British naval officer was walking down a well-known street. Suddenly he heard a voice from behind. If you should be called into eternity within the next 24 hours, your soul would be in heaven or hell. These arresting words burned into his soul, and through those words he came to trust Christ as his Savior. My friend, if you should be called into eternity within the next 24 hours, your soul would be in heaven or hell. Eternity where? To think when heaven and earth are fled and sky and seas are o'er, when all that can die shall be dead, then I shall die no more. Oh, where shall then my portion be? Where shall I spend eternity? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment or two in the presence of the Lord tonight. Maybe you've stepped into this building tonight and you're not seen. Maybe these words of the preacher have been strange to you this evening. I just want to remind you, my sinner friend, that death is coming. That eternity is coming. And that you have a choice to make. It's heaven or hell. It's Christ or the devil. It's saved or lost. Eternity. Where? Where for you? Father, I pray tonight for any and all in this gathering without the Savior. I pray, O oh God, that you might be pleased to speak to such. 
and grant, Lord, that someone in this building tonight will say, Christ, for me. We ask this for the Savior's sake. Amen. Going to sing us our closing hymn, 325 in our hymn book, Where Will You Spend Eternity? I'll be at the door to shake your hand as you leave tonight. I have a little booklet in my hand called Journey into Life. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're not saved and you're anxious about your soul and your sin and eternity and you want one of these booklets tonight, please ask for one. They're for the unconverted. They're free. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not buttonhole you. I'll not pressurize you. But if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity and you'd like one of these booklets, please ask for one as you leave the meeting tonight. 325, where will you spend eternity?